Hello, friends. Welcome. So glad you're here with me for another episode of Here's Where It Gets Interesting. Today, we're going to talk about a first lady who never got the opportunity to step foot inside the White House because she died. (laughs) Can you call her a first lady? We'll discuss. We'll discuss. She died after her husband won his presidential election, but before he was inaugurated. Do you see how this is like a, this is a little murky? She did, however, have an undeniably major impact on her husband's two-term presidency. And I know we all love to hate him, but during this episode, we're going to discuss the lifelong and at times scandalous love and devotion between President Andrew Jackson (laughs) and his wife, Rachel. I'm Sharon McMahon. And here's where it gets interesting. So on April 13th, 1827, a half a page of letters to the editor appeared in one of New York City's newspapers, the Evening Post. These printed letters all weighed in on the same topic, and they were only a handful of the letters that were regularly showing up in the mailrooms of newspapers across the country. Everyone had an opinion. And the subject of the debate the good name and reputation of Rachel Donaldson Jackson, the wife of presidential candidate Andrew Jackson. Before Rachel, no one had really questioned the suitability of a presidential candidate's wife. Sure, you know, past presidents and their families had found themselves under periods of scrutiny. But in the months leading up to the 1828 election, Rachel Jackson endured a full-fledged smear campaign backed by her husband's political opponents. All anyone could talk about was the scandal between Andrew Jackson, his wife, Rachel, and the sticky timeline of Rachel's divorce from her first husband, Captain Lewis Robards. For his part, letter writer James Ray told the Evening Post, I consider Mrs. Jackson as most unjustly and ungenerously slandered. I am well acquainted with most of the circumstances and regret to see the whole transaction misrepresented. Rachel spent the first part of her childhood in Virginia, raised in a prominent Southern family. She was the youngest of 11 children. And when Rachel was around the age of 12, her whole family left Virginia and traveled for four months, over a thousand miles, to the Tennessee frontier where the family settled for a short time. While there, Rachel's father, John Donaldson, helped build the settlement of Fort Nashborough, establishing it for around 600 of Tennessee's first white settlers. And if Nashborough has a familiar ring to it, it's because the settlement was later developed into the city of Nashville, Tennessee. But the adventurous Donaldson family didn't stick around. They moved on and eventually settled north of Tennessee in the Kentucky Territory. It was in this backdrop of the Blue Hills of Kentucky that Rachel came of age. By 17, she had grown into a capable, well-educated young woman. She was devout in her Presbyterian faith and loved spending time reading the Bible and poetry. Her friends and family adored her, and she was considered to be a very merry teenager who was often quick to show kindness. And when it came time for Rachel to find a suitor and settle down, 
it didn't hurt that she was also very beautiful. And while she probably had her pick of rugged frontiersmen, Rachel married Captain Lewis Robards. Lewis was from Virginia, like Rachel, and he had served in the Revolutionary War before traveling to the frontier. The couple was married in the spring of 1785 when Rachel was 18, and they moved in with Lewis's widowed mother on the Robards, Kentucky land, where she ran a boarding house. But it just wasn't meant to be for Rachel and Lewis. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you like take a nap, read a book, go for a run, meet a friend for coffee? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If your time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I know so many people who have been helped by talking to a licensed professional. It helps them identify what their priorities are and structure their life around the things that matter. So if you are thinking of starting therapy, consider giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sharon. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water, which is filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. And that's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is a breeze to install. They have a unique quick filter replacement feature that allows for seamless filter replacement, unlike any others on the market. Go to canopy.co to save $25 off your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, my listeners can use code SHARON at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Being a part of a royal family might seem enticing, but more often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, pulls back the curtain on royal families, past and present, from all over the world to show you the darker side of what it means to be royalty. From icons like Grace Kelly, Oscar-winning actress turned Princess of Monaco, who the world saw as the ultimate good girl. She mastered playing a happy wife and mother, but beneath it all, she was desperately lonely. Grace spent her whole life working towards perfection, and it ultimately cost her her happiness. Or King Ludwig II from Bavaria. He was only 18 when his father died, 
leaving the crown to him and a duty to rule that he never wanted. He refused to lead and used funds from the royal treasury to further his extreme love of opera. But this choice eventually cost him the crown and his life. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. Lewis was the jealous type. He was always suspicious of Rachel's actions and motivations while being rather lenient with his own marriage vows. It's said that he regularly accused her of sleeping with the men who were boarding at his mother's house and often resorted to cruel abuse to control her. So Rachel fled. At this point, their story becomes a bit of a He said, she said tale with accounts that diverge depending on who told it. According to the Jacksons and the Donaldsons, Rachel escaped to her family's home and then fled to the Spanish-owned city of Natchez to avoid Robards who had gone looking for her at her mother's home. During the early days of Rachel's marriage to Lewis, Rachel's father was killed. And like Lewis's mother, Rachel's mom had opened her home up as a boarding house for travelers. One of those boarders was the tall and dashing war hero with a great head of hair, Andrew Jackson. He was immediately sympathetic to Rachel's plight. And in their version of the story, he chivalrously escorted her to Natchez, Mississippi to keep her safe, while Lewis, who declared he was ready to cut ties with Rachel, filed divorce papers. But the Robards family claimed that Rachel stole away with Andrew Jackson, the both of them hoping that their actions would prompt her husband to divorce her. Historians tend to agree with the Robards. Pulitzer Prize-winning author John Meacham writes in his biography of Andrew Jackson, American Lion, Andrew and Rachel's passion for each other was apparently deep enough to lead them, despite their claims to the contrary, to choose to live in adultery in order to provoke a divorce from Robards. It was an extremely risky move for Rachel in a time when divorce was practically unheard of, especially in elite families. Women were expected to bear their husband's bad behavior silently. Rachel chose otherwise, and it was a choice that would haunt her for the rest of her life. In 1791, while in Natchez, Rachel and Andrew got married under the impression that Louis Robards had obtained the divorce and Rachel was free to wed again. But here's the thing. Divorces weren't just a social faux pas. They were a complete logistical nightmare to execute. During the process of Rachel and Lewis's divorce, Kentucky became a state instead of a territory that was held by the state of Virginia. And North Carolina turned over management of the territory of Tennessee to the federal government. So Lewis did, in fact, file for divorce like he said he would, but it was never officially granted was lost instead through the cracks of an increasingly complicated filing system. And of course, at the time, women were not permitted to initiate divorce, so Rachel was very much at his mercy. So the newlyweds, Rachel and Andrew, were none the wiser. Until two years later. And while a lot of historical emphasis is placed on the fact that Rachel and Andrew didn't know the divorce wasn't finalized, it's important to note that even Lewis himself 
had been in the dark. He had also remarried, unaware that he wasn't truly divorced from his first wife. Searching for the quickest way to put the legal snafu to bed once and for all, Louis Robards agreed to sue Rachel, claiming that she was a bigamist and an adulterer, which was regarded as a valid reason to obtain a divorce. The courts found her guilty of abandoning her husband and granted the divorce. On January 18, 1794, Rachel and Andrew were quietly and legally married in a small second ceremony. After their second wedding, they oversaw the construction of the Hermitage, their plantation home in Nashville, Tennessee, the fledgling city Rachel's father had once helped establish. And when the couple purchased the land in 1804, they brought with them nine enslaved workers, a number that evolved over the years and grew to over 150 by the time Andrew Jackson left the White House. Rachel and Andrew were not able to have any biological children of their own, but they were certainly not childless. Quite the opposite, in fact. Andrew Jackson is known for, shall we say, his more temper-driven tendencies. So it may surprise you to learn that he loved children. It was often said that he became a totally different man around children. The first child they brought into their home was one of the twin sons of Severn Donaldson, Rachel's brother. Around the year 1809, they welcomed this baby into their family as their own and gave him the name Andrew Jackson Jr. It's a little odd for us today to imagine separating twin babies at birth, right? I mean, like the practice is most famously relegated as a movie plot device to reignite the romance between the parents of Haley Mills or Lindsay Lohan, depending on your preferred parent trap era. But in the early 19th century, the concept of kinship adoption, being adopted by a family member, became extremely commonplace as large families began to decide what type of living arrangements and educational opportunities might be in the best interest of the child. And we don't know the exact reason why Severn Donaldson and his wife Elizabeth decided to let Rachel and Andrew adopt their son. But what we do know is that by the time these twin sons were born, Severn and Elizabeth already had three children all under the age of five. You can imagine that there must have been some sort of conversation that took place between the two families. Rachel and Andrew had no children but wanted to have them, and Severn and Elizabeth had more children than they could handle. A kinship adoption probably felt like the best course of action. And so Rachel and Andrew raised Andrew Jr. as their own, but he also grew up closely connected to his biological siblings. Around 1812, Rachel and Andrew adopted five-year-old A.J. Hutchings. A.J. was Rachel's great-nephew. He had recently been orphaned, and Rachel's sister, Catherine, was unable to care for her grandson, so Rachel stepped in. I say Rachel because during the War of 1812... Andrew spent long periods of time away from the Hermitage, fighting in the conflict. The pair hated being separated from one another, and later Andrew's niece, Emily, said, General Jackson loved and admired Rachel extravagantly, finding his chief pleasure in her companionship and his greatest reward in her approval. 
but one of the most surprising stories about the Jacksons has its origins in the War of 1812. In the aftermath of the Creek War in Alabama, an indigenous baby boy was found alive, crying, and clinging to his Native American mother who had been killed. He was brought directly to Andrew at his military encampment, and it's said that Andrew immediately decided to adopt the child as his own. It's a perplexing part of Andrew Jackson's personal history, considering he used his power first as a general and later as the president, to kill and displace thousands of indigenous people off their lands. But perhaps he identified with the boy because Andrew Jackson was an orphan himself. Andrew kept the small child alive by mixing flour and water together. And in the midst of war raging all around, he would gently feed him to make sure he grew healthy enough to travel to Rachel at the hermitage. In the letter he sent to Rachel about the rescued boy, Andrew said, I send Lincoya to my little Andrew son, and I hope he will adopt him as one of the family. He referred to Lincoya as a pet with two T's. So maybe he thought of the baby more as a plaything or a subordinate to his son rather than a child of his own. But as time went on, Lincoya was given the Jackson surname and lived in the home with Rachel and Andrew and was educated and raised alongside the other adopted boys, Andrew and AJ. Although it's not clear the extent to which Andrew and Rachel viewed him as their child rather than somebody who just lived with them. And sadly, Lincoya died of tuberculosis just before his 17th birthday. He was buried in an unmarked grave. And while historians have long debated how much Andrew Jackson really cared for Lincoya, very few remark on the heartbreak Rachel experienced at his passing. Over the course of their marriage, Rachel and Andrew became the legal guardians of as many as a dozen more children, most of them Rachel's own nieces and nephews. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. It is really important to shift your skincare routine with the changing of the seasons. Y'all know that I'm into skincare. I've been into skincare for a while now. And one of the things that I really love about One Skin is that they have so much R&D in their products. This is not just cute packaging. This is not just celebrity endorsements. Their products treat the root causes of aging, not just the symptoms. In a third-party 12-week clinical trial performed by third-party research organizations, OS1 Face was clinically proven to strengthen the skin barrier. Very important, the main job of your skin is to be a barrier. Improve skin health markers and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. Again, this is independent third-party testing. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging. And I love how easy it is to integrate into your skincare routine. You can keep using what is already working for you and integrate OneSkin. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today 
with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New Year, healthier skin. That's One Skin. Help your skin stay younger and healthier for longer with One Skin. I have been using the Olive and June Manny system to do my nails at home for years, years. And I wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work, if I didn't like it, if the results didn't look good, if it wasn't way more convenient than going to the nail salon. I wouldn't keep doing it, but I do. And I consistently have nice looking nails. I really like that Olive and June protects my nails, keeps them from chipping, splitting, cracking. And I love that Olive and June includes everything you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. They also have salon grade tools that are designed to make your DIY easier. When you get the Olive and June Manny system, you can customize it with your choice of six polishes. My favorites are like the light colors. I like nudes, but they have amazing vibrant shades and the polish doesn't chip for seven days or more. It breaks down to like $2 a manicure. And once you practice, once you watch their videos and follow their tips and tutorials, you will find that it actually is easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. Visit oliveandjune.com slash Sharon for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash S-H-A-R-O-N for 20% off your first system. I have a question for you. How is your sock drawer looking these days? A little scary? little scary after a long winter. Maybe it is time for spring cleaning, a little refresh, getting rid of any old pairs that are no longer serving you. Bombas just dropped a bunch of absurdly soft new socks, tees, and underwear to help you get that drawer in a better place while doing a little good. Once you try Bombas, let me tell you, it's going to be real hard for you to go back to buying big box store socks. I know this from experience. They are obsessed with little details like foot-hugging honeycomb arch support. Your socks don't just like slide down and get all bunchy in your shoes when you wear Bombas. They have anti-blister tabs. I love those because the back heels of your shoes then don't rub against your heel where you get blisters. And they have cushioned footbeds. Again, I can't tell you what a difference it makes. And Bombas has a one purchased, one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. To date, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. So get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Sharon and use code Sharon for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Sharon and use code Sharon at checkout. For years, as Rachel and Andrew set up their home at the Hermitage and began adopting their sons, the story of Rachel's botched divorce and supposed bigamy had been only spoken about in hushed tones and behind closed doors. The social elite were too polite to drag the rumors out into the open. But that all changed in May of 1806. 
A cocky lawyer in Nashville, a man named Charles Dickinson, entered a dispute with Rachel's family, the Donaldsons, claiming some of her brothers cheated during a horse racing bet. Andrew stepped into the situation, looking to defend the honor of his in-laws. But Charles took things further by insulting Rachel's character in a newspaper article, no less, and speaking about her penchant for, quote-unquote, living in sin. Andrew flew into a rage. He was no stranger to dueling, having previously drawn pistols with at least two other men, including the governor of Tennessee. And he challenged Charles Dickinson, who was, by the way, considered one of the best shots on the frontier, to a duel. Charles accepted, and the two made their way to a farm in Kentucky because dueling was illegal in Tennessee. Charles shot first, and he hit Andrew in the chest, where the bullet stayed lodged for the rest of his life. But the shot did not kill Andrew, who took the next shot. A good many accounts of this duel say that Jackson's pistol jammed, but then he recocked his pistol and he took a second shot that hit Charles in the abdomen and ultimately killed him. Andrew's second shot broke the code duello or the rules of the duel. But when the dust settled, one man lived and one man died. Andrew had technically won the duel, but in his haste to defend Rachel's honor, he brought into his life the smear of murder alongside the bigamy rumors his wife endured. This made Andrew Jackson's run for the presidency a living hell. If you'll remember, he ran against John Quincy Adams in 1824, losing bitterly when the House of Representatives elected Adams, even after Jackson won nearly 70% of the popular vote. And when Jackson and the Quincy, as I like to call him, squared off in 1828, things got even more ugly. John Quincy Adams' presidential campaign supporters regularly brought up Jackson's lack of self-control, his use of slave labor, and of course his marriage to Rachel before she was fully divorced from Louis Robards. And though I think it's important to mention that John Quincy Adams himself never got personally involved in the smear campaign. He felt the mudslinging tactics were beneath him, and he even refused to write in his diary between August and October of 1828. The press, however, loved the scandal. One newspaper ran an article asking its readers, Ought a convicted adulteress and her paramour husband to be placed in the highest offices of this free and Christian land? And hot-headed Andrew Jackson did not take the high road in response. He regularly delighted in the rumors that his own supporters spread about John Quincy Adams, even when they were clearly baseless. He also tried to do damage control by writing to newspaper editors himself and sharing guidelines on how the attacks on Rachel's virtue should be countered. Being a part of a royal family might seem enticing, but more often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, pulls back the curtain on royal families, past and present, from all over the world to show you the darker side 
of what it means to be royalty. From icons like Grace Kelly, Oscar-winning actress turned Princess of Monaco, who the world saw as the ultimate good girl. She mastered playing a happy wife and mother, but beneath it all, she was desperately lonely. Grace spent her whole life working towards perfection, and it ultimately cost her her happiness. Or King Ludwig II from Bavaria. He was only 18 when his father died, leaving the crown to him and a duty to rule that he never wanted. He refused to lead and used funds from the royal treasury to further his extreme love of opera. But this choice eventually cost him the crown and his life. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water, which is filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. And that's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is a breeze to install. They have a unique quick filter replacement feature that allows for seamless filter replacement, unlike any others on the market. Go to canopy.co to save $25 off your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, my listeners can use code SHARON at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. It is really important to shift your skincare routine with the changing of the seasons. Y'all know that I'm into skincare. I've been into skincare for a while now. And one of the things that I really love about One Skin is that they have so much R&D in their products. This is not just cute packaging. This is not just celebrity endorsements. Their products treat the root causes of aging, not just the symptoms. In a third-party 12-week clinical trial performed by third-party research organizations, OS1 Face was clinically proven to strengthen the skin barrier. Very important, the main job of your skin is to be a barrier. Improve skin health markers and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. Again, this is independent third-party testing. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging. And I love how easy it is to integrate into your skincare routine. You can keep using what is already working for you and integrate OneSkin. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New Year, healthier skin, that's One Skin. Help your skin stay younger and healthier for longer with One Skin. 
I have a question for you. How is your sock drawer looking these days? A little scary? little scary after a long winter maybe it is time for spring cleaning a little refresh getting rid of any old pairs that are no longer serving you bombus just dropped a bunch of absurdly soft new socks tees and underwear to help you get that drawer in a better place while doing a little good once you try bombus let me tell you it's going to be real hard for you to go back to buying big box store socks. I know this from experience. They are obsessed with little details like foot hugging honeycomb arch support. Your socks don't just like slide down and get all bunchy in your shoes when you wear Bombas. They have anti-blister tabs. I love those because the back heels of your shoes then don't rub against your heel where you get blisters. And they have cushioned footbeds. Again, I can't tell you what a difference it makes. And Bombas has a one purchased, one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. To date, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. So get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Sharon and use code Sharon for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Sharon and use code Sharon at checkout. The insults continued and Rachel grew depressed. She wrote to her niece about an incident where she overheard other women talking about her. She wrote, listening to them, it seemed as if a veil was lifted. And I saw myself, whom you have all guarded from outside criticism and surrounded with flattering delusions. As others see me, a poor old woman, a hindrance instead of a helpmeet to the man I adore. Between the scandal and Koya's death earlier that year and a downturn in her health, Rachel spent much of the campaign teary-eyed and tucked away from the world. Once her husband won the election, Rachel Jackson reportedly confided in a friend saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than live in that palace in Washington. Whether it was a throwaway complaint or a premonition of what was to come, in early December, Rachel suffered a near-fatal heart attack and died three weeks later on December 22nd, 1828, at the age of 61. Rachel was buried on Christmas Eve at the Hermitage, and she was laid to rest wearing the white dress she had picked out for the inaugural ball. Devastated, Andrew Jackson blamed his political enemies for Rachel's death, even going so far as to say at her funeral, may God Almighty forgive her murderers, as I know she forgave them. I never can. And even as Andrew settled into his presidency, Rachel's death caused him constant pain. My heart is nearly broke, he said in a letter to a friend. I tried to summon up my usual fortitude, but it is in vain. Because he was now in need of someone to fill the house and hostess duties of a first lady, Andrew turned to an obvious choice, a family member who was already living in Washington, D.C. with him. The president-elect had designated Rachel's nephew, Andrew Donaldson, to be his private secretary, a position that we now call the chief of staff. 
which was the highest employee rank in the West Wing of the White House. His wife, Emily Donaldson, was educated, energetic, and already a part of the fabric of his new administration. So she was the perfect person to have the job of White House hostess. Emily was born in 1807 to John Donaldson, one of Rachel Jackson's brothers, and she was raised with a formal education at the Nashville Female Academy, benefiting from the type of schooling that was extremely rare for a girl to have at the time. At 17, she married her first cousin, Andrew Donaldson, and over the course of their marriage, they had four children together. Emily was just 21 years old when she came into her White House hostess role, but she came to it with all the know-how, style, and gumption that a woman twice her age could only hope to have. Andrew Jackson was the president of the United States, but he was also a man in deep mourning over the loss of his beloved wife. Around the one-year anniversary of Rachel's death, Emily stepped in. She decided it was time to coax her uncle out of his despair and into the light of some of the fun that his new presidential position offered. And so, on January 1st, 1830, Emily threw the social event of the season, a New Year's party that still to this day is considered one of the biggest and grandest events to take place in the White House. It was a new decade, and the vivacious Emily wanted Andrew and the rest of the country to find joy in the potential of the years ahead. Emily served as the First Lady's surrogate for five years, expertly handling the details of receptions, welcoming official guests, and arranging important dinners. And she's widely regarded as one of the most effective of the White House hostesses, But towards the end of her time there, a social scandal drove a wedge between her and President Jackson. Emily also began to feel ill and returned home to Tennessee, where she sadly died from tuberculosis at the too young age of 29. Andrew Jackson replaced Emily with his daughter-in-law, Sarah York Jackson, who stepped in to take over hostess duties. And that social scandal that saw Emily and Andrew Jackson at odds with each other before her death, it would go on to have far-reaching consequences for the trajectory of Washington, D.C. politics, and even directly influence the next presidential election. More about that in a future episode. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so glad we could learn about Rachel together. And I cannot wait to share more about Andrew Jackson with you next time. He may be my favorite, least favorite president, (laughs) but his life truly was fascinating. And we are going to have a whole conversation about cheese in Jackson's White House. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Here's Work It's Interesting. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider sharing it on social media or leaving us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform? All of those things help podcasters out so much. The show is written and researched by executive producer Heather Jackson, Valerie Hoback, and Sharon McMahon. Our audio engineer is Jenny Snyder, and it's hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>